Hey there, you're watching School Psych Podcast. We're excited tonight to be talking about a very important topic and I think very relevant and functional um, to us, but professional development. We've got a great guest. Um, I hope that everyone is managing. I know that this is kind of a busy time of the year with breaks and things and deadlines. I know I'm kind of swamped myself, so hopefully everybody's staying in there and you're making it to your breaks and not taking too much work home and, um, you know, having a little bit um, of some downtime. I know I've got one week left and I'm pretty sure Rebecca's already on break, so I'm a little bit jealous, but um, my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist and I'm currently in the state of Maryland. I'm going to turn it over to Rebecca. Hi everybody, I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. I want to encourage you to please participate tonight. If you're watching us live, you can comment right in the live chat box alongside your YouTube live screen. You can also comment on the Facebook pages, School Psych to your School Psychologist, or the School Psych Podcast page. You can comment under the top post or in a private message. And I'll be happy to share your thoughts and ideas or questions with Dr. Timmons. And also on Twitter, using the hashtag Psych2Podcast. And now I'll turn it over to Anna. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psych working, living in New York State. Um, we did a little poll for you guys out there on Facebook to find out um, what kind of professional development that you were most interested in presenting or you had presented in. And it sounds like most people are most comfortable and interested in presenting to classroom teachers. We had 66 votes for that. Oh, this is Ariel over here, my cat. <laughs> I bring the cats. Um, special ed teachers is the second um, vote in the in the poll, 48 votes for that. Para educators or teacher aides got 38 votes. Parents, 29 votes. Um, 27 votes people have um, presented to other school psychs. 17 votes for administrators. And then um, the top vote on what people present is accommodation versus modification. So we kind of wanted to hear like, what do you present and also who do you present to or who would you like to present to? So we're getting out there and presenting a lot of different things to a lot of different people, which is cool. I, I don't know about you guys, but I've done um, some like superintendents conference days or like staff development days to like anyone could sign up and present it to like 100 people and it's like kind of crazy and nerve wracking. <laughs> um, so, okay. It's a good topic and something that we can definitely um, fit our role into. And with that, we have our guest, Dr. Jill Timmons. She's currently um, in her first year as a school psychologist in a rural school district um, in Nebraska. Uh, in the position she serves students birth through 21 as the only school psych for about 1,000 students. She is the first school psych in the district that they've ever hired. Previously, they contracted with private psychs for testing only. And together, they're learning how to work together most efficiently and effectively to meet the needs of their students. Prior to this role, Dr. Timmons served as a special educator, education supervisor, or assistant special ed director for the second largest school district in Nebraska. In this role, she was responsible for supervising, hiring, and appraising 51 school psychs. This included planning, professional development of the school psychologists, and a variety of other roles. Um, as being special ed director. Um, we can be difficult as school psychs. That's a lot of people to handle. Um, she also served as a building special education literacy coordinator for four years prior to that, was a school psychologist for seven years. She's heavily involved in the state of Nebraska, serving as president-elect, president, and past elect, excuse me, president. She is currently the advocacy liaison. Dr. Timmons earned her education and specialist degree in school psychology from the University of Nebraska at Kearney and her PhD in education leadership from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. Thank you, Dr. Timmons, for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Should I go ahead and share my screen and get started? Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And let's see if it works. Here we go. And we have links to uh, the PowerPoint, the slide or the Google Slides. Um, there's a link up in hopefully in the description of YouTube um, and on the Facebook event page. So you should be able to find it in the Google Drive. So thanks again for having me. One thing that I am just really, um, really passionate about is school psychologists. And so I feel like before I ever talk to anyone, I feel like I always need to just be upfront and tell you my professional bias. So that's what I'm going to start with. Um, I'm really passionate about um, making sure whatever role I'm in, whether I am a school psychologist or I'm supervising um, or serving as an administrator, uh, that I'm empowering school psychologists. And I always say I want them to be amazing at their work. Um, we have so much uh, potential in our work, and I want every single school psychologist across the nation 
to just be outstanding. And I want them to be considered irreplaceable by their administrators. I think that's really, really key to um, being um, to being able to provide really great services. And I'm always trying to empower um, and help school psychologists either be able to provide comprehensive school psych services or working towards be being able to provide those services. So know that going into my conversation, I have significant bias towards what I think is one of the greatest professions out there. Okay, so I feel like I just have to be honest and put that on the line for you. Um, so I, uh, I want to start by telling you about professional development because I found like in early, I found that early in my career, it was kind of intimidating to plan. Um, and I have found in talking with other school psychologists that they have found it can be intimidating to plan. So how do you organize it? How do you manage your time? How do you engage staff and make it meaningful in a way that um, make, results in changes in your district. And so I've been able to kind of pick up um, tips and tricks over my career, particularly from two people who I think are absolutely brilliant. Um, Randy Sprick, if you know him from Safe and Civil Schools, and Anita Archer, also connected to Safe and Civil Schools. So I'm going to just start off crediting them with a lot of the knowledge that I have here. And so what I hope is that um, when I'm facilitating professional development for my district, I want to make sure it results in changes. If it's not resulting in changes and I'm just standing up there talking, then then I'm not, um, I just don't feel comfortable that I'm doing what I wanted to do, right? I'm not just standing up there to say, oh, yay, look at what I have to do. I really want change to happen. So I want to help every school psych out there be able to make that happen, if that makes sense. So... Some of you um, might be new to being a school psychologist and you might be thinking, why should I offer to facilitate professional development? So I wanna talk about why, why should you do that? First of all, you know, you heard me say I'm completely biased towards school psychologists. You guys, um, we all have a great broad skill set, and that is a lot, that provides us a lot of great information to share with school staff. So I really, um, want school psychologists to be able to get out there and get in front of um, their staff. Sorry, my lights are going off and it's distracting me. Um, I want them to be able to get in front of their school staff, their school staff and offer um, some of their knowledge. Research has shown over and over, even my dissertation, unfortunately, has shown that um, school staff and administrators often think of school psychologists as testers first. Obviously, that's a generalization, right? There are some people who don't. But overall, we know that um, that's how we are often perceived by others out there in the education community. So when you're facilitating professional development, it's an opportunity to stand in front of your staff and allow them to see you and hear from you and in a new and different way and share your knowledge. So I want you to think about sharing information so that others start listening to you in a different way, okay? It's also an opportunity to use stories. And stories really give us an opportunity to build trust. It allows us to stand up um, in front of people and send this message, we're all in this together. I've been there too. It also allows us to, um, when you're telling a story, people start to think that they know you. And so even if you don't necessarily know them, in their mind, a relationship with you is forming. So it's a way to stand up there and start to get a real connectedness to your staff. And of course, it's also an opportunity for you to advocate for, um, for your role. And I know a lot of administrators uh, often feel overwhelmed with the professional development that they are asked to lead in their own building. And I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Um, but but ju just by offering to help out your administrators, take something off of their plate sometimes, um, not only helps you build a stronger relationship with them, but again, lets them start to think about you in a different way. So I think it's a great opportunity to use professional development as advocacy for your role. And ultimately, if you are not the one to lead professional development, then who's going to, right? And again, I think... School psychologists are the most outstanding people in our buildings. And so I want you out there in front of staff sharing your knowledge and really building our schools 
so that we can provide great services to students. Jill, Jill I want to jump in. Yeah. I, I, totally I totally agree with your why, um, and I'm totally on board. But I, have, I feel a little, um, I guess, nervous about the use of story because I think about, you know, self-disclosure and how complicated that can be. And I guess it depends on who the audience is. Um, you know, I, I would feel much more comfortable, I think, in a group of teachers or my own faculty uh, telling a story about my own children or about a previous experience with, with students or, or in another classroom. But um, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how, how can you use a story without getting too far, you know, down that self-disclosure? What do you have to keep in mind or what do you think of um, when I express that? That yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And so I, um, I try and tell story as much as I can. I try and tell really personal stories. So sometimes I'll take my own children and, um, the reality is nobody really knows the story about me. So I can actually, and I do this with my kids when I'm parenting them, right? Like I tell the story and then I twist it. So it gets the outcome that I want. So you can tell a story about your own kids and sort of let the story change and be what you need it to be. So I do that um, a lot. So then I, no one has to worry about if I'm talking about a, a kid that they know or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But if I am not talking specifically about my kid, like if I'm giving an example of um, a student with autism or something, then I'm very uh, generic in my explanation of who the student is. And I focus a lot on the behaviors. Um, for example, I mean, that would be an example of when I'm probably talking about behaviors or how to interact with a student or things like that. But I think you... Um, and this kind of goes to a point I'll make later when you're using stories, you want to think about them. Don't, 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 um, stand up there and then all of a sudden go, Oh, I have a great story. Cause then you can accidentally say things that you, you probably don't want to say. Yeah. So you always want to plan what those stories are that are going to enhance the example to really make the point clear. If that makes sense. Definitely. That's great. Good question. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about are what my objectives are for this session. And my objectives are that you will know strategies for planning effective professional development, understand why these strategies make professional development more effective, and be able to use professional development as a way to um, advocate for your expanded role activities. And objectives are actually my first tip. So um, when I was first learning to plan professional development, I didn't always know um, kind of where I was headed. So someone would say, hey, Jill, can you talk to our parents about autism? Great. What am I going to say, right? So what I learned is I had to really focus on what are the outcomes that I wanted by presenting this information? What do I want to change? Why am I sharing this inf information? That kind of thing. So the outcomes helped me to organize and drive my session. Um, the second thing that I have found objectives to do um, to be very effective for me in addition to organizing it, but also my districts have focused a lot on Marzano's work, um, classroom instruction that works. And so if you're familiar with that, um, he talks about writing objectives in the know, understand, and be able to way. And so what that allows me to do is not only organize my session, but then I'm standing up there and I'm talking teacher language, right? Because I'm using the exact same examples that the district is talking about with their teachers. And so that makes me sound like I'm connected to the work of the district. So if your district is using um, any kind of a buzzword um, or there's some kind of you know, kind of a, a theme or something that's going on, anytime you can connect to that, that just continues to make your presentation more credible. So my next tip for you is to really think about who your target audience is. So who are they? What do they need to know? And how is it going to be helpful to both your administrators and your staff? So what I did is I listed um, kind of every um, target audience that I could think of for you on the screen. So you should be able to, to see that. Um, when I was first starting as a psychologist and first figuring out how to facilitate professional development, I started a lot with paraeducators because everyone's so busy and they always know paraeducators or teacher aides need the training, but they're so busy they don't have the time. And so that was a quick, easy one that they would give me. 
um, to to take over. And then it really helped me to build my skill set um, by starting with small groups of people and being able to work up to larger groups of people. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ideas, other ideas, or if anyone out there has um, other people. We've kind of talked about it at the beginning based on the poll as far as uh, other people. And you said, I think you said classroom teachers is where most people were spending uh, their time. Yeah. And classroom teachers um, was something I had to work up to because you get in a room full of, you know, 60, 70 classroom teachers. That can be pretty intimidating. At least it was for me. And so... Um, so I, I, my, if you're new to this and if you're not feeling very confident, my advice for you is to start small, build your way up to something that you're more confident with. Yeah, that's good advice. My third tip, and this goes for everything that we do, and that is to really use your passion and your expertise. So what are you passionate about? School psychology is such a broad field. And so there's, you know, we each have our own passions within the field of school psychology. Um, so look for ways to connect your passion to the needs of the school and the needs of the school. And especially if you're experienced, you know, this, just look around the school and listen, and those needs usually become pretty, pretty obvious to you. Um, in my experience, I have found that most professional development, um, that I'm asked to facilitate kind of falls into four categories. And that's what I've laid out for you here behavior. So either like behavior management, um, uh, de-escalation strategies, um, you know, a variety of things like that. Mental health, what does it mean to be, what, for a school psychologist to be a mental health worker? Oddly, that's kind of a new concept for some school psychologists, um, especially in our state, um, where we haven't always been very progressive in that area. Um, interventions, which can be both behavior and academic. Coming back in January, I have a training scheduled for um, our parents to focus on some academic interventions that they can do to support our students. And then the last um, area tends to be anything related to special education, verification procedures, processes, that kind of thing. And that is, um, I think all of those are really good because those are all things I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about us following the law. I'm passionate about good interventions, you know, strong behavior and mental health. So that works well for me. But, um, and that's probably why they all group into those categories. But just really look for something you're passionate about. You know, if you're not passionate about, um, let's see, last year we had a, a session in my old district on um, uh, I can't think of what the topic was, not traumatic brain injury. Anyway, on a low incidence disability. And it's very important. It's not my passion. And so I wasn't going to be the best person to stand up there because it wasn't something I was passionate about. So always connect at least as much as you can what you're doing to your passions. Whoops. So, um, so I talked in the beginning, I, you know, when I was a new young psych planning professional development, I struggled with how to organize the whole, um, the whole professional development session. And so I'm going to talk about the way I organize it, talk about my strategies, give you an example of how I do that, and then kind of talk through a little bit more why I do that. Um, so organization, I always start with why, and I even kind of did that a little bit tonight. So start with why to engage them and um, why this topic matters to them. Activate prior knowledge so that, that you're priming them to start thinking about whatever the topic is. Um, I have found chunking your information um, really helps to engage them and be really explicit in what you're wanting them to know. And um, using scenarios and stories, and I, I know I talked about how stories kind of hook people and scenarios really give them an opportunity to take that content that you're talking about and apply it to real life. And so that's a really good way to make your information meaningful. And then I didn't used to give them takeaways, and I do now. I'm very explicit on what the takeaways are uh, because I found if I don't, um, they will. They might walk away thinking three things were important, and I thought five things were important, and I don't want them to miss those things. So I'm very explicit now about my takeaways. And whenever possible, I encourage you to end with next step commitments. So it's kind of like a built-in accountability that they were paying attention, engage, and they're going to do something with what you've just presented. Now, sometimes you're not in a position that you can really have that accountability built in. But if you make it sound like 
there's accountability built in with what is your next step commitment? Fill out this card. I'm going to look it over. And if there's any questions that you have, I can follow up with you or something like that. That's just an, another step closer to making somebody actually um, participate in the topic um, or the action steps that, that you wanted them to take. So the, the four main strategies that I use in all of my professional development are, um, the first one is think, write, pair, share, or talk time. And research has shown that when you're presenting new information to, um, to all learners, not even just adults, but all learners, children included, they need to process or do something with the information um, anywhere between every five and 10 minutes. So build that into your presentation. Um, it also allows you, if you're starting to think um, like you just need a second to collect your thoughts, it's built in opportunities for you to collect your thoughts. So sometimes I'll use those times, like the pair share times, as an opportunity for me to think, did I remember to tell them this point? And if not, then I can go back and hit on it in a really um, coherent way uh, that makes sense. Or it allows me to start thinking about, okay, when I give this upcoming example, I want to make sure. And so it just helps me to be more organized in my presentation. Um, <clears throat> and you might not, my next, the next strategy I use, you might not be able to do all of the time. It depends on, um, you know, a variety of things, how much you know your staff or the people you're presenting to. But um, in my experience, I've been most successful when I've been able to assign my staff into partners or groups. And here's why. I, I, I love working in education. I absolutely love it. The reality is and I love to learn. Not everybody is excited about learning as I am. And so we go to staff meetings or professional development trainings, and there's always a handful of kind of negative Nellies. And so in my experience, if I can be really intentional about this, if I can pair them up with somebody intentionally or space them out throughout the room intentionally so that they don't cluster together and then they're, um, they kind of take over or disrupt my presentation, I'm more successful. Um, so when you're able to, I always encourage you to be able to do that. I also use time limits throughout my session. So I might say something like, for the next 30 seconds, think about whatever the topic is. And then I might say, okay, for the next minute, write down everything that you thought about. Or for the next two minutes, talk to your partners. And so that gives time limits on the topic and allows um, to keep and allows allows you an opportunity to keep everyone engaged. Because, for example, if I said, okay, everyone, talk to your partners about topic A, whatever the topic is, some people get through that conversation in about a minute. Some people need five minutes, but the people who are done in a minute, they're suddenly off task for four minutes. And so when I've lost them, then it's harder to pull them back in and really engage them in the information. So think about intentionally setting those time limits to keep, to keep their attention. Um, and attention getters is something that's really important for me. When I talk in front of a large group, I'm very uncomfortable with loud noises. And I just know that about myself. So, you know, oftentimes you hear people clapping three times to get someone's attention or sometimes people whistle and that like always makes me cringe. I'm just so uncomfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And so instead of doing that, I stole from Randy Sprick and I tell them at the very beginning of the session, I say, okay, when I'm going to need your attention back, what I'm going to do is say, okay, everyone come back together and raise my hand. When you see me raising my hand, that's your cue to raise your hand and stop talking. And people follow that very, very well. And then I'm very comfortable getting their attention without having to feel like I was yelling at them or something that makes me uncomfortable. Am I like that a lot too. I think that, um, you know, that shows them, teachers can use that in their own classes. You know, you're teaching them a skill of, hey, that kind of worked how she raised her hand. You know, that's something that I could use. I had a, a PD that I gave on, it was like our RTI procedures um, to all the, the teachers. And they surprised me being teachers, <laughs> how difficult it was to like bring their focus back between um, those between those breaks. And so um, I think that's good to, to keep in mind to have a strategy going in on, on how you're going to do that. <laughs> Well, and I'm really glad you pointed that out because actually all of the strategies that I'm using are really effective instructional strategies. And so I, 
throughout the session, I am modeling effective instructional strategies for my staff. So that's a really good point. So thank you for making that point. Um, and my last point before I give you an example is to keep the pace peppy. So again, if you're familiar with Anita Archer, who if I ever grew up, I want to be just like her because she's just crazy smart and is just the best professional developer I've ever seen. And her pace is peppy. And you'll go to her for two days, for example, and you will not believe all that she can cram in for two days. Um, and you are engaged throughout the entire time. And again, I give the example of the staff members whose conversation was over in a minute. If you're letting them go for five minutes, you've lost them for four minutes and you don't wanna do that. So keep your pace peppy. So here's an example that makes this come to life, I hope. Um, so about a month ago, my superintendent asked me to give a training to our district on behavior management. So start with the why, right? So my very first beginning of my slides, we're talking about why are we talking about behavior management in November? So I talked through all the reasons that that was important to, um, to us. And so then they knew I wasn't just somebody coming up with this idea on my own, right? There were reasons that we were talking about it. The next thing I did was activate prior knowledge. So I gave them a think, right, pair, share. And the think, right, pair, share was to think about the strategies they'd used in their most difficult class that day, but in also, the, also the strategies they'd used in one of their easier classes that day. So then it was an opportunity for them to start thinking, what do I know? But also for me to give them kudos and say, see, you already know a lot. You already know a lot about behavior management. Now let's add to, to what you know. So that was a good kind of relationship builder there. So then I talked about chunking my information. And what I mean is this. So the first topic I had about behavior management was building relationships. That's kind of the foundation, right? We all know that if kids don't like you, they're not probably going to learn a lot from you. We've heard that um, in, in some of the TED Talks and things out there. So I gave them information about building relationships. And I talked about doing it with students, with parents, all of that. And then my next topic was positive reinforcement. And we worked through some things with that. And then I went on to another topic. So every um, topic within there had four or five, um, you know, there was, it was all chunked together. And so it was meaningful in that way. And then I use scenarios of stories. So I often will show a video or give a scenario, like think about how you might apply this in your classroom. Think about how you are reaching out to parents now and building relationships. How else can you build relationships. So that's an opportunity for them to think about um, talking and talk through with their colleagues. Um, and again, I'll tell you, personal stories really help connect. So um, when I was giving this presentation, again, about a month ago, I said, okay, I'm going to tell you a story about my son, Ethan. And if I didn't know that stories already hooked people, that was clear when I said that. Because as soon as I said that, here I am in this big cafeteria and almost every head turned and was right on me throughout that entire session um, because that makes it meaningful. Ethan makes it meaningful and it makes me sound like, yeah, I've dealt with, you know, whatever the situation was. Um, and then I talked about giving them the takeaways. So I was very specific and these are the takeaways for building relationships. These are the takeaways for positive reinforcement. And then again, ending with next step commitments whenever possible. So I kind of talked about this already, but just to be really explicit, the reason I set up professional development this way, and this might be a slide that you could just take and use on your own when you're planning professional development, just kind of keep it in front of you. So why do I use Think, Write, Pair, Share? Because people need to activate that and process that information every five to 10 minutes. Um, why do I use a video or a scenario? Because it allows them to hear from someone else. It allows them to apply the information I've been talking about to real life situations. And when I was facilitating professional development with Sykes, what we would do a lot is use case studies. And um, that was a great way for them to, to sit there and talk about why this really difficult case, or here's a really difficult case. How might I handle it in my school? How about you? What are the things I would think about? That type of thing. Um, I talked about personal stories a few times. Um, and again, the think, write, pair, share with time limits. So give them the, the time limits and that helps to keep your pace peppy and then be explicit in your, in your takeaways so that they know exactly what you want them to know. What are your thoughts on, um, 
So now that I have kids, like I, I have examples like crazy of all sorts right. of like behavior issues and whatnot. Like once you have kids, it it's kind of just <laughs> changes everything. But when I first started off as a school psych, I didn't have children. And I often felt that teachers would look at me and parents would look at me and kind of know that mm. and almost hold it against me. Like, oh, you don't, you, you, you yep. can't possibly understand, even though you background in degree. Um, what, what are your thoughts? If you don't have that experience to draw from, but still establishing that kind of credibility in their eyes, I totally don't, you know, I would never agree that you need to have kids to know how to manage kids or anything like that. But some people I feel maybe have that mentality a little bit. Well, and I definitely think that's, I would agree with you. I felt that way too, especially like you said, before I had kids, but even before I had a lot of experience. So my first years, one, two, and three, I was still figuring out how to be psych. So I, I wasn't good at picking up on what um, this, the things happening around me and how I could translate that into a personal story to make my case. So, um, so I would just encourage you to really think about um, how have you, like think about your topic. So let's say it's behavior management since I just use that as an example. So was there a time recently when you were working with a kid and what were the things that you were thinking about? So in fact, in that presentation, we have um, a, a student that has, had become a little bit infamous in one of our schools. And so I kind of made a joke about, so I was working with this infamous fifth grader and he didn't want to listen to what I had to say. And so that kind of, again, kind of got a chuckle out of them because they feel the same way, right? Because he's not wanting to listen to what, to what they have to say either. And so um, and so then I just took that that probably five minute interaction with him and made it made the point of, so then he wasn't going to follow my direction. So I gave him a choice. You can do this or you can do this. And if you can't choose, I will choose for you. And so I just talked to them through that. So I think, um, I think my advice to you, if you feel like you don't have a lot of stories, is to first of all, don't panic because we work in education. Stories will come to you. It's just, it's just the, way that, the way it works. Um, and if, you are, if you're thinking that you have something coming up, just sit down and reflect on the last week or the last month and think about when when have you been working with students or when have you seen something in action um and again i i will um and i honestly i tell people this too i sometimes take a story and i elaborate the parts that i really need to make a point on okay. you know and nobody knows right nobody knows that ethan was only kind of talkative but in my mind he was way too talkative right <laughs> But I can use that and I can make him as talkative as I need to be to make the point in that scenario. Um, so, you know, use the 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 opportunity to elaborate um, if you're if you're comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. I mean, certainly I'm not I'm not like explicitly lying to people. I'm just, you know, really making the point on on certain stories. So can you to lie to people? That's absolutely not what I'm asking you to do. <laughs> No, I think it's a it's a great tip, and I I often find that um, I'm sort of I'm thinking on the other opposite pole as Rachel was talking about, where my kids are um, high school and college age now, and they're they're you know I'm very lucky, knock on wood, they're very successful kids on paper. So I feel you know like if you just sort of thought about them on paper, so I feel like I need to get. Um, when I'm talking to parents, I, I want them. I want them to know that that I get it. Parenting is hard, you know. And so I I tell the stories about raising my kids from how I felt. Maybe not necessarily, you know, what it really was. How I felt when I was arguing with my daughter. Not that she she may not have had you know any particularly difficult situation, but still, as a parent. I can relate to the stress and the anxiety and the, you know, am I doing this right kind of thing? And that that's how I embellish my story. I, I really, you know, um, I drive that connection um, between myself and any parent because it's a hard job. Absolutely. And I think that um, that's a perfect example. And I'm glad you, you said that too, is connecting with them with the kind of the emotional level. And mm -hmm. I sometimes will just be really direct and say, oh my gosh, sometimes I was doing things and I knew I, as a psychologist, I knew I shouldn't be doing it. I would think to myself, why am I arguing with you? 
and yet I'm still arguing with you. You know, so give yourself as a parent, give yourself a break. If you catch yourself doing that, know that even when I know better, I was doing it. But now that you know better, be more mindful of it. And so then again, you're you're really connecting at their level. So that's a great example. Um, my next tip for you is practice. Just practice. You're going to feel more confident, especially if you haven't um, facilitated professional development before or haven't done it very often. When I was uh, younger in my career, I worked with a principal and when we would do a presentation together, she wanted me to really practice the whole thing as if we were standing in front of people. And I remember at the time thinking, you want us to practice a two hour presentation, like two hours? Are you kidding? And um, she was completely right. I mean, cause I didn't, you know, I was young and I was inexperienced and I didn't know how to manage my time and I didn't know how to think through my stories. And by, by practicing my stories, I could tell if my story just took a left turn and I was like, oh, that's not going to be a good example to use. Right. You know, or if my um, the example that I thought was so great when I start talking out loud, it really is not making the point I needed it to, even though in my head, I thought it was going to be great, but it wasn't the, the point I needed it to make. So practice, um, even if it seems silly to you, practice, you'll feel more confident and then you'll do a much better job. Um, so the next um, kind of topic I wanted to talk about was what are the most effective professional development topics? Um, this is what I wrote down for the different people that I facilitated professional development for. So for teachers and paras, usually the most effective professional development I have when I'm working with them tends to be around something with behavior management. Um, school psychs or administrators typically um, tends to be around eligibility, special education processes, those types of things. Um, if I'm just talking to school psychs, then it goes, it goes a variety of, of different ways. Um, but I didn't know, and you can see what I have written for parents and just paras on their own. <clears throat> but I know if you guys had some ideas as well, as far as when you think about those groups of people, are there topics that are that you think are really effective for those groups um, that maybe the listeners could could um, learn from? Oh, I think one thing that comes to mind with um, teachers and paras and, and school faculty members is I, I do feel that they really do want to understand more about um, uh, childhood development, psychosocial development. They want to um, understand more about uh, mental health and um, you know, different challenges, mental and behavioral health challenges. So I would maybe add that. Uh, I think you were saying in the beginning how sometimes topics can be um, na so narrow that only a few people are interested in it. But I think when uh, when certain teachers are trying to support, you know, specific kids or specific situations, their interest is so strong and helping them, you know, collaborating with them is so positive that it's worth it, even if it's a small, you know, group <laughs> that's interested in that topic. Absolutely. With us, with the psychs only, it's like more like a study group kind of thing. Like, mm. hey, we just got this new test out and let's like play with it and figure it out. Or like, how do we score this new test? Because it's kind of confusing for some more than others with like software and stuff. Um, or the larger groups, like sometimes we do things like, what is an FBA and what are you expected to do? That's something that like I, a lot of paras where I work are kind of confused about um, what's their role in it and like behavior kind of stuff. Yeah. That's something that I think is important too. Great. Yeah, and I think parents really want um, support around a lot of things. Kind of how are they? How how can they better serve the common goal of helping their child thrive uh, academically and socially and then emotionally as well? So I feel like parents are a great audience because. Um, they have the same goals that we do. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. Um, so I'm going to kind of switch gears for a second, but my takeaways for you um, regarding facilitating professional development are number one, you can do this. You are the right person to do this. So I encourage and hope I am empowering you to feel more confident in doing this. Um, and you can feel more confident by organi organizing your session so use some of the strategies that I've given you to help yourself, especially if you're new or even if you've done it for a while and just thinking through how can I make my sessions a little bit different and a little bit more fresh as well. Um, 
trust yourself because you are smart and you know a lot about a lot of things. So trust yourself. Again, find those things that you're passionate about because those are things you're going to want to talk about and pick your audiences and your topics specifically so that it really, it really becomes meaningful as far as what you're talking about. So when I was in graduate school earning my PhD, I had to read the book Lean In. And I don't know how many of you guys or any of the listeners have, have listened to it or read it yet. It's a great book. And this is my favorite quote from that, from that book. And because I love it so much, I'm going to read it too. So I hope you'll just bear with me because I really find this to be one of the most empowering quotes um, in the book. But let me say, for those of you who haven't read the book, she's writing it for women in the business world. But I really believe there's a lot of application to the education world. So with that in mind, here's what she says. I hope you find true meaning, contentment, and passion in your life. I hope you navigate the difficult times and come out with greater strength and resolve. I hope you find whatever balance you seek with your eyes wide open. And I hope that you, yes, you have the ambition to lean into your career and run the world because the world needs you to change it. So I hope that with this information, I am empowering you to, to go out there and change the world, which is what I am all about. I love that. So, I, I wish you were in my building, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind. Sure. Um, so the next thing we're going to talk about is school psychologist collaboration, because we talked about how um, some, like in my previous district, there were 51 school psychologists. So when we had a case or uh, something we wanted to talk about, we had people to go to. Um, but now I'm in an urban or a rural district an hour and 15 minutes away from where I was. And I, ha I don't have anyone just down the hall or across the street for me to go talk to. So I want to talk to you guys about a few things I've, I've come up with. And then I'd love to hear what you guys have come up with as well. Whoops, I clicked on the wrong thing here. So um, when I was serving as assistant special ed director, what I found is, um, well, number one, I, I had hired about something like 30 new psychs over a four-year period. It was crazy. And most of them were interns. And it's because we were a growing district and a variety of reasons. People had gone into administration. And and so a variety of reasons. But we we'd really hired a lot of new psychs. And um, what I was hearing from the new psychs is they were really seeking some feedback and opportunities for collaboration. And the more experienced psychs did as well, but I'm just gonna kind of talk to you about how I did this with the new psychs for a minute. So we already had built into our system that everybody new or experienced always attended monthly professional development meetings. So that was already there. Um, but what we added to that was a monthly professional development meeting just for new psychs. Um, and so what we focused on was how do you facilitate effective meetings um, how do you figure out what your evaluation plan should be? So are you going to test or not test? And if so, in what areas, that kind of thing. Um, and sometimes even after you got the results, you, the results were muddy. So how did we, how could we work together to help figure out what those results met, met so that they could go back to their building and really lead a good planning session for the student. So what I did was I had the more experienced and more experienced school sites come over the lunch hour and um, we would divide into small groups and either they would facilitate a, kind of a mock meeting using real real life student data um, or discuss their evaluation plan or whatever. But during that time, the more experienced school sites, including myself, were sitting there able to give them really specific feedback on how to share really difficult information. For example, it's usually pretty e easy in my experience for school psychs to talk about academic testing or an IQ, but it's much more difficult to explain behavior checklists, um, autism reading skills, adaptive reading skills. That's They can explain the results and they know what the numbers mean, but to make those numbers come to life can be much more difficult. Um, so we would, we would talk about how are you going to explain this? And they would they would explain it as if they were sitting in the meeting and we would give them feedback. And what, what we ended up finding was um, the school psychs loved that. Um, they, it resulted in better meetings for them, better collaboration between younger school psychs and more experienced school psychs because they were directly interacting with each other. Um, again, a better skill set, more confidence, and just overall improved relationships. And so 
for me, I felt like that was a really uh, one of the, the best things that we did was identifying that need and adding that opportunity for our school psychs to um, really focus on on their cases. It was also an opportunity, and this is going to maybe sound a little out there, <clears throat> but um, giving feedback and accepting feedback uh, can be difficult. And so it was an opportunity for colleagues to give feedback um, to each other and to accept the feedback. And so that was um, just a very important skill, I thought, for them to work on as well. So it was um, something that I really, really found to be beneficial, and they did as well. And I don't know how you guys have have um, worked in your own districts in, in getting collaboration with other psychs, but maybe if you guys want to talk about that for a minute too. I've, sure. I've been alone in my building forever. We have, um, we have psych meetings where I work. Um, uh, every couple months kind of thing. And, and I don't think it's really as effective as you described. So you're kind of inspiring me. <laughs> like I just sat at a CSC meeting with another psych who did the evaluation of a student and it didn't, you know, it didn't make a lot of sense. So it's, it's hard for us though, to give each other feedback. Like I'm, I'm really um, avoiding confrontation a lot of times. So I, I think that it's important to build that in. So it's like normal and okay to do. Yeah. So part of the protocol. Anna, do you guys meet like on a regular schedule or just as necessary? Yeah, we have um, psych meetings about like four or five times a year kind of thing. Um, the agenda is like maybe we can consult on cases or whatever, but I think we don't always actually do that. Like we might talk about like how many protocols do we need or, you know, more business kind of things that don't necessarily make us better at what we do. So I, I think it's an opportunity and I'm feeling Feeling inspired. What about you, Rach? Um, so yeah, I'm in a, a fairly large district now. Um, we're combined with social workers, and there's close to 100 of us, but so I'm thinking 60 or 70 are probably school psychologists. Um, and so we meet on a regular basis as far as a couple times a year for like staff meetings and they generally weave professional development into it. And we have, you know, so we get our credits and our PD and stuff through presenters that way. Um, we have had some pushback. We used to do that more frequently. And then principals kind of, you know, stomp their feet a little bit. Like, why are you taking my, my school psychologist off campus? They have too many meetings. They're not as accessible. And so in response to that, um, we've cut back on the PD and the collaboration and things that we used to have a little bit more of. And I think that that's an, an effort to show that we need more school psychologists, you know, okay, look, we got rid of all the, all these, all this PD for you and you're still kind of complaining. So let's hire some more. So I think that I'm hoping that maybe we'll hire some more and then we'll return to that. Um, but they do are, my district is very accommodating, I think for new school psychologists and for interns and practicum students and that they, they have monthly meetings for them and, and it's open to anyone really on various topics. And so that's kind of a smaller group to getting together. And they usually talk about the dis different disability categories they might talk about, you know, ID one month and um, have a collaborative discussion on that. So I'm hoping that um, maybe we'll get some more hires in and we'll be able to um, expand a little bit. But it is for sure nice to go to a staff meeting and to see a room full of school psychologists who all speak the same language and can you can kind of chit chat and learn from each other. But yeah. good. Um, well, and we kind of talked about this already. Um, this is how I find collaboration and support from other school psychologists. And you guys mentioned some of this. Um, I use my colleagues from my state organization. So this is my opportunity to put in a plug. If you're not a member of your school, state school psych association, I strongly encourage you to become one. Um, I also have 51 colleagues I just left in my former districts and other colleagues I've met throughout the years. And so you will just continue to build your um group of people as you grow in your career. Um, even some of those I went to graduate school with a long, long time ago, so I still have access to them. And I still use my school psych trainers. So um, whether it's the ones that trained me or some of the others in our, we have three training programs in our state. So some of those from the other two training programs, I reach out to them as well. I encourage you guys to do that too. And I think that um, uh, social media too, and and, and whatnot, and some of the discussions that we have on Facebook with other school psychologists, um, I think that that 
makes PD and collaboration and working together a little bit more accessible for the psychs that are maybe not surrounded by other psychs. So I think that's important. That is. Thank you for pointing that out. That is important. Um, so I'm just going to kind of connect to what you just said, actually. So I, uh, as I said, crazy passionate about school psychology. I want everybody to be amazing and I want to help everyone um, in whatever way I can. So I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. Um, I am always, always tweeting, always trying to reach out to people, including our governor and other state representatives trying to Im empower them with knowledge so that they can make great decisions in the world for us. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I write articles sometimes, so you can take a look at that. And my two favorite hashtags, which I use all the time, are school psychs and change the world. So I encourage you to use those as well and get those trending because I think those are so important. That's awesome. I love that, Jill. Thank you so much. This has been so inspiring. I've already downloaded the slides and I am going to use them in uh, pitching a presentation soon and as soon as we get back after the holiday. I really appreciate your inspiration. Good. It's really helpful for us. I know I'm starting out, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have done some things a little differently, like third smaller and things like that. And I think I kind of burned myself out with presentations. So um, you're inspiring me to start again. So thank you for that. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if anybody out there watching or listening um, wants to share with us their ideas for presentations or, you know, we're happy to be your little feedback loop as well. So let us know on Facebook and Twitter and um, wherever you're listening, how you're doing with presentations and what you're thinking about. And we'd love to hear from you. So we are just about out of time. We want to thank Dr. Jill Timmons so much again for being with us tonight. We also would love to share some exciting news about our next upcoming episode of School Psych Podcast. We have a special date, which is December 20th. Um, I think that is Wednesday, correct? This Wednesday at 6 p.m. We will be um, having a special broadcast with Dr. Dan Siegel, who has just um, uh, who has just published a new book on parenting called The Yes Brain, I think. <laughs> but uh, look out for more information about his book and about the podcast um, on School Psych podcast page and on Twitter and on School Psych, your school psychologist. I hope you'll join us. We're so excited to have Dr. Dan Siegel with us and ask him questions about um, neuropsychology, the brain, and parenting. Awesome. All right. Thank you again. Thank Bye, you. Everybody. Good night.